speech is a very um, powerful um, <clears throat> thing with speech, with uh, words, we can um, divide, we can hide the truth, we can hurt. Uh, it's a very powerful thing, speech. With speech you can free, you can, uh, you can assist a company, you can uh, support it's a very uh, it's a very kind of big responsibility to have speech it'll be something to uh, maybe that will uh, want to become mindful of uh, when we return to the world of speech you know the power of speech and maybe the mindfulness of speech how we use it even just here on retreat inner speech. Forget outer speech, just inner speech. Have you noticed the use of speech inside yourself? It's amazing. Inside oneself, the speech can divide us from others. You know, the words we say can divide us from ourselves. You know, come on, asshole, back to the breath. This is not my language, was it like way too out, too out there? <laughs> so speech is extremely powerful. For me on retreat, I get to uh, notice this, you know, can hear myself in words. You're always been, you've always been like this. This is how you are. Pascal Auclair, you know. This is how you are. Look at that. No more nuance, you know, gone out the window. Just speech comes in like sharp, this critical, you know. So we come on retreat to reveal this, the power of speech inside of ourselves. And hopefully we'll be shaken enough or touched enough by the power of it. The power of, uh, you know, sometimes I talk to myself, I say, oh, it's hard, my love. It's hard to be you right now. Huh? You're all confused. Oh, you didn't get what you wanted. Huh? Really hard. <gasps> and how th these words can help me along, you know, accompany me. And so we're discovering this here. Hopefully, some of it, something like this, something around that. I think about this uh, often before speaking like this, because you know I'm given a full 60 minutes of speech, and uh, there's a kind of a setup, you know, like I'm on a stage, everybody's looking in that direction. There's a kind of a kind of it gives authority, you know, because it's just the setup. I mean, one has to be really uh, attentive, you know, and not fall too much into the setup, you know, and get, keep your your critical mind, you know. But uh, still, you know, there's a microphone, the voice is amplified. And so I become really aware of the power of speech and that it's a big responsibility. I want to use it well. So what's my best strategy here is to be mindful, is to be careful, to check in. What's the intention here? What's, the, what's happening? What makes these words? What, will, what am I moved by for speaking? The teachers here know that very well. That's what we do when we come to do this uh, function of teaching on a retreat. We're aware that speech is very powerful and we want to use it really well. And of course it's going to be imperfect because we are, you know, being human beings. It's not going to work out perfectly at all. But At the same time, I'm thinking um, that's something that often comes back to me very strongly. I, I talk about this a lot lately. Um, in the Buddhist uh, teachings or thoughts, there's a lot of list, lists, many of you know. And a few years ago, there was one uh, teacher was uh, sitting here 
kind of. And they said, oh, there's a list of uh, the two causes for uh, wisdom, the two causes for wisdom to arise. And I remember like, I might, I might have been like in, in the crowd, like kind of half there. Like, okay, don't talk, okay. You know, okay, yeah, who else is listening? You know, right there. <laughs> oh, she's listening. Well, yesterday she didn't seem so interested. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, suddenly there was these two causes for wisdom to arise. And I remember like I got like two. <laughs> I can remember that. That's my size lists. <laughs> I mean, there, be, there might be one too many. Like, <laughs> oh, there was two. There's this one and the other one. What was the other one? But uh, like, I really tuned in, and also because wisdom is like kind of the gold, the big prize, you know. It's kind of, kind of inner freedom or freedom from uh, hurting oneself and others, you know. So I really want to know. And uh, I was really touched by the actual two, uh, the, the, the two, um, the, will you name them? <laughs> the, the, two, uh, the two causes. <laughs> because it, I really recognized the truth of it for me, at least. You know? And so the teacher said the cause of uh, the two causes of wisdom. That's my latest trick. Is <laughs> I stop to drink. Look around intently. So the first cause is the wise voice of another. And the second cause is wise attention. And I'm still not getting over it, because I find, I find this incredibly short and beautiful list. And what I recognize in my experience over the years is that every time I came to retreats, these two were that was why there was a retreat, for a space to discover what is wise attention. And it was mainly through the voice of another, my teachers and my colleagues a lot. And, uh, and that's why I value uh, retreat, because of the silence, the opportunity to develop a wise attention, and because the words uh, mostly will be uh, Hopefully, it's been for me a lot of words of wisdom that have helped me align myself to reality, you know, and live in a better way. And so, this is certainly the intention here this week and tonight to use speech in order to direct attention in the right areas, for, to liberate the mind free the mind from the, its inner struggles. And the wise attention also has been very surprising to me, like what to pay attention to. Because to me, I would, uh, I would think, you know, you come in a place like here, you're given time, and like I, I would tend to think a lot about the future, the past, and think a lot about I mean, a bunch of things, a bunch of consideration. And then in the development of wise attention, I'm, said, I'm told, oh, I like to tell that story of the first time I actually was taught about wise attention. The instruction was, oh, you want to develop, develop an attention that will bring wisdom to yourself, like wise attention? Put your attention on your nose. And then I was like, oh, to free the mind, that would not have crossed my mind that I had to put my attention on my nose. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a surprising suggestion, but I'll try. I'll put my attention on my nose. I could be thinking about myself, you know, and the past and the future, but you're saying that I should put attention on my nose? 
And then I did that. <laughs> Put attention on my nose. It was anapanasati, attention to the breath, especially at the nose in that case. And uh, in this way, suddenly by just paying attention to the air coming in and out of the nostril, suddenly a whole lot of things were revealed to me. How the mind was behaving or misbehaving. You know, how it would actually like leave this task and get caught somewhere and excited about something and worked up about something and you know and have a you know a lot of uh, become epic no like it does here and so slowly it was uh, revealed to me all the way all the places to put attention to develop uh, wisdom but to be attentive to your posture pascal like this is so primary i'm never putting my attention on my but not to fix it, you know, just to know you're sitting or know you're lying or walking. I'm walking to get somewhere while I'm walking, uh, and I pay a lot of taxes for that. Uh, so they, f they, you know, they clean the street, you know, they make it even so I can get lost in my head, you know, and not, not tumble or tremble, whatever the word is, you know. And so when I walk, I'm usually off, lost in, you know, some kind anything really sometimes i don't even know what you know and then it's like oh you know you could put your instead of putting your attention on what happened what could have happened who you could be should be could have been would have been you know but you just become aware that you're actually walking wow so primary and yet as i do this i keep making discoveries about the world about the self how it's constructed how it gets uh, stuck here and there yeah Put attention on the breathing process, and you'll make discovery. Put attention on the pleasantness you feel or the unpleasantness you feel. Put attention on uh, all the things we've been naming, the mind states you're in. Wow, the discoveries I've made. And so, tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about, as I understand it, the arch, arc or arch. You, you make your own decision on this. <laughs> If I do this, is it is both, no, kind of? Yeah, that's problematic. You guys should look at... <laughs> so the arc, so the arc of practice. And so the way I understand it is I'm invited to get out of my ideas about stuff, my preconceptions, my conditioning, my obsessions, my habitual way of thinking. And it's not an easy task to do, get out of my ideas and actually uh, tune in reality through the senses. There's an image that the Buddha seems uh, to have used that talks to me a lot. Imagine uh, in this room here, let's say, or around here, on one huge rope tied to the rope at one hand, an elephant. Just after this, on the same rope, a little further, a dog. Further, an eagle, a snake, a crocodile and a monkey. Was there six? That was the aim. <laughs> Nobody counted. We're all on the same page. This makes six. <laughs> Imagine all these animals on the, tied to the same rope. The elephant wants to go in the jungle, the dog wants to go in the town, the monkey wants to go uh, up in the tree, the crocodile in the swamp, the snake in the grass, and the eagle in the sky. And so they're all pulling, and it's a big mess. This is a description of our minds, you know, with the six senses. So we're like... like uh, oh, a bird. Oh, I like these birds. I should move to the. To, oh, my knee. It hurts. It hurts. I, I should talk to the manager about my knee. My knee. And then it's like, oh my God, I'm so scattered. Oh, yeah, I've been scattered all my life. Like, and you know. And then all this, these animals are pulling in all directions. And with the mindfulness, we learn to make them stay or stay with the animals. You know. So instead of having one, that's. My sense is that's the way we live, is we have a contact with reality that is like uh, a tenth of a second, and then we're off, you know, just enough so that the, I don't know, the hand reaches the soap in the bathroom, you know, like just enough connections to reality so, so it's like it actually reaches. 
but then off. You know, once you get the soap, you're fine. Everything else is going to be done <laughs> by itself. And on the other, on the other, like the other moment will be like grab the towel, and uh, and the rest you can be totally gone. It's fine. It's going to dry itself by itself. <laughs> so little moments of connection, and off we go. You know. And here, what we're trying to do is to stay present, stay at the point of connection. We've talked a lot about this, maybe not in these words, but saying like, as you walk outside, can you actually feel the step stepping and stay there? Or as you stop, can you be aware that you're actually standing? Feel the standing. Or here in the Qigong, you know, can you stay present? Okay, I get it, it's about like this, you know? And Marcy saying, like, you know, the, stay here, stay here. It's the power of your attention. It's the movement with the attention. There was three things, the movement, the attention, and the breathing. So can you, you see three, it's just <laughs> one too many for me. So here we're trying to stay connected a little longer oh, it's unpleasant, can you stay connected instead of going into, this shouldn't happen, there's something wrong with them, they shouldn't, uh, uh, me, uh. it's just like, oh, unpleasant, unpleasant, un- unpleasant, oh, really unpleasant. Wow, unpleasant feels like this, look at that. Emotions, you know, instead of leaving with the emotion, getting lost, entranced by it, caught by it, just feel like, oh my God, impatience impatience, wow, strong wave, wow, fiery impatience, the whole body on fire with impatience, wow, whoa, and then it's lowering, lowering, it's like, wow, I was there for the whole thing, I didn't leave, you know, I stayed for the whole, whole event, yeah, I remember one time, I think it might have been the first time I was talking in this hall, and uh, it was different, there was people all over the place. And uh, I was uh, talking about something, there was a list, it was a long one. And uh, <laughs> I was talking, talking, and at some point my eyes just around there, here, actually it was here, I remember. There was uh, one uh, uh, white male older than me sitting there that I projected uh, uh, to be heterosexual and educated more than me. (laughs) And his face was kind of neutral enough, like kind of like blankish kind of, that I thought like that he hated me and thought I was stupid. (laughs) So I'm talking like this, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, and then suddenly I see this person hating me. And I completely paralyzed. I paralyzed, like I, I actually like got totally stuck. So I was sitting there, everything was gone. Like my memory, I didn't know what I was talking about. I, uh, I couldn't move actually, I was, I was l- really frozen. I was like this, you know, and, and, and everything was jammed. Maybe the heart, everything was gone. You know, it was just complete blank, frozen being sitting on stage. And there was nothing actually happening. Except I still have peripheral, I still had peripheral vision. Apparently I did not lose all my (laughs) capacities because I could see my senior teacher. There was a whole row of teachers. Can you imagine? I was already pretty stressed, you know, it's the first time I'm talking. And one of the senior teachers about where temple is, there was people here went, at some point, went just like this, you know? (laughs) And I totally agreed with him, you know? (laughs) I was, I totally agreed, like something was supposed to be happening, and it was not. And uh, so, suddenly what came to my mind, what did I remember? Mindfulness. All these moments of practice in the years prior, suddenly there was this remembering, oh, maybe it would be good to know what is happening, you know? And suddenly I could feel my chest, you know, like completely contracted, and the heartbeat here on the side, you know, and the the hands like completely like rock. And then I remembered that there was 
my sheet there with information, you know, survival uh, stuff, you know. And, uh, but I noticed that I could not actually move. I was stuck there. I couldn't lower my head. It was not possible. So I just, I noticed like, wow, paralyzing fear feels like this. And then I just did my practice. Paralyzing fear. Wow, how interesting. Bringing interest to the present moment experience. Wow, cannot move the head. How amazing is this? <laughs> and then there was also maybe some compassion that came along or some friendliness, not judgment, like, come on! <laughs> you know, nothing like this, just this is how it is right now, my love. Wow, that is quite something. And then suddenly, wow, breathing. Oh, I can breathe. Whoa, I can lower the head. <laughs> and I look there, and at this point, it's a, a bit like now, actually. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> at some point in my life, it had made sense. <laughs> but I just remember, like, loads of letters, and then I was interested in that. It's like, wow, I cannot decipher this. <laughs> it's just... This is not going to be of help. This, there's way too many letters. I, I don't know who wrote this. But <laughs> and I just, you know, continued practicing. You know, wow, very intense. And suddenly, poof, oh, I'm talking about the seven factors of awakening or something like this, you know. And oh, yeah, I was talking about this one. And oh, yeah, people were listening and you should not look in that area. <laughs> so, some discernment and wisdom was coming back, you know, there was a... the mind could coach itself, don't look left. <laughs> and so I gave the rest of my talk. <laughs> but then after, I, w I remember I finished the thing, and I walked out, and as I walked out, there was a lot of joy. There was like, wow, the worst has happened. <laughs> and I'm still alive, still breathing. It was extremely interesting. I would not have this, you know, organized that myself, you know. <laughs> I would not wish this upon anybody. But there was, the practice showed up, you know. There was a accompanying Pascal in there. Something clicked in, you know. And so, in this way, that's the practice we're invited to do here. Can we be here while what is happening is happening? Not be lost in it, but ah, grief, deep grief feels like, loneliness feels like this, calms, calm, no, no, it's calm, feels like this. And to get to know this. And so in the practice, we get out of our ideas of how it should be, could be, should have been, etc. And we plug in the present moment through any of the senses. And we discover the mind states. And then, in my understanding, is we get very specific about what's happening. We get to feel specifically this step. Specifically this breath. Specifically this mouthful. Specifically this light. Specifically, this feeling of being the absolute best meditator ever to enter this all. <laughs> or this particular, unique, very specific feeling of being the worst meditator ever. <laughs> oh, worst meditator ever feels like this. <laughs> you know? And so, do you see there's a revolution of the mind happening because the mind is getting interested in what's happening. It's not about wanting a certain experience. It's a radical practice of what is actually here. And let me know this specifically, fully, as fully as possible. Yeah? So then we discover that certain things uh, are pleasant. Some, th some others are unpleasant. Some are very unpleasant. Some are neither pleasant or unpleasant. Wow, can I stay there? Can I stay there with something that is neutral, that is very specific. One young person at the teen retreat was uh, at some point told me, Pascal, 
what's your problem, you guys, with the porridge in the morning? It doesn't have any taste. It doesn't have any uh, texture, any color, any... It, like it, it's bland. There's nothing about it. Don't you have enough budget to buy some bread, you know, or something, you know, so we can eat something else than the boring porridge? And me, my job, as I understand it as a meditation teacher, is to say like, oh, what you're describing here is a very specific experience. Could you be there for that experience of tastelessness, texturelessness, <laughs> colorlessness, etc.? Can you, that's, you know, because sometimes our, some things are crunchy, that's very specific, and some things are crunchless. Can you be there for that? And you went like, oh, whatever. In that era, it was like, <laughs> way back then. <laughs> And then after, he came back and he was at the end of the retreat, he was like, Pascal, Pascal! <laughs> I'm eating my entire porridge now. It's so interesting. <laughs> Bland, tasteless, amazing. And I was like, wow, this person gained freedom from porridge. Or <laughs> a freedom with porridge. Their happiness doesn't depend on toasts. <laughs> they can be engaged in life with porridge. Okay, there's going to be more things to <laughs> free oneself from, but do you see this? It's suddenly one can be in the middle. Of course, at home, you, if you have the choice on between porridge and toast, you know, uh, you go for what you prefer. And I suspect now that sometimes you might go for porridge, this young person just to remember the retreat and back then when it was so good, you know. <laughs> but we're uh, invited to really get specific about the unicity, the suchness of each experience. And for another one, for example, for me is a, a way that sometimes I work with uh, uh, emotions. I think of them as national parks. I'm saying this because it seemed like it's been helpful for a few people. So I feel like when I'm in the, you know, I'm in, let's say there's fear. It, you know, if you go in uh, Death Valley, it's a particular uh, environment, would you say? Not? Yeah. So the National Park of Death Valley, pretty dry, hot. You know, it's a particular geology, atmosphere, luminosity. So in mind states, for me, it's the same thing. It's like, wow, look at that this particular mind state that I'm visiting right now, visitor, is, uh, feels like this. You know, it's this particular rock formations or fauna or flora. And then suddenly I'll find myself in the redwoods, you know, up north. And that's a whole different environment than Death Valley. And in my practice as a meditator is to wake up to that environment. Oh. Slight joy, gratitude, feels like this. I don't want to be lost in the fear, and I don't want to be lost in the gratitude. Ah, everybody's been so nice to me my whole life, and everybody's so amazing. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be lost in gratitude. I want to be awake to gratitude. Wow. Gratitude feels like this. Feel, joy feels like this. Fear feels like this. I want to be specific about it. I want to learn what is specific about it. Oh, in this mind state, I or others appear a certain way, or the future appears a certain way. Pleasant sit, feels good, hopeful, uh, refreshed. How does the next few hours look? I love it here, it's going to be way too short. You know, future appears beautiful, uh, just pleasant, the next few days are going to go so fast and we're, we're going to be in silence together, and we're going to eat in silence together, you know. And then, you know, you have a next sit or something like this, scattered mind, achy body, unpleasant, discouragement comes. How does the next few hours look? Oh God, get me out of here. <laughs> what are the escape ways, you know? I can't possibly be here one more hour. You know, in mind states, everything appears different. In grumpy states, ah, people, ah, I tell you, 
people. They, s they don't care about people's stuff, they don't, you know. And in another mind state, uh, people, they do their best. Uh, look <laughs> at them, everybody trying their best, so touching. Yeah? The Buddha uh, used the image of the mirage. He said with mind states, this mirage, perceptions are altered. I want to wake up to this. I want to be awake in this. Oh, that's how it appears right now. Oh, that's the kind of thoughts that are produced by anger. It's like this, this is how it should be. No nuance, very sharp, like this, you know. They've always been like this, they will always be like this, you know. And suddenly in, uh, in care, in kindness, like, ah, oh, it was hard for them. That's why they spoke like this, you know. They're not always like this. It appears differently. I really want to be awake to this. So I want to get really specific about what is happening, yeah? So we go from our ideas about the world towards uh, touching the world specifically, clearly, as clearly as possible, you know, being really there, going through the senses, through the mind states, being awake to pleasant, unpleasant, etc. Yeah? And then I want to take a few minutes to talk about this last movement of this arc I was talking about that I find extremely powerful. So I go from my expectation, ideas, uh, etc., unquestioned biases, this and that, to being really there, plugged in reality, and, and then I can know like, oh, this is a thought about my mom. You know, this is not my mom, this is a thought. You know, like I make the difference, suddenly I know that a thought is a thought. Before I didn't know, I thought it was all the same thing, you know. When I'm with my mom, it's my mom. When I'm thinking about her, it's also her. And when I'm imagining a fight with her, it's also her. And I can stay resentful of that fight that never happened, maybe. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? We can get mixed like this, you know. And so here we become really uh, kind of sober about it. It's like, oh, this is not the past. This is a thought that is happening. This, this is a production of the mind, yeah? So we become specific about this. Some things are subtle, others are gross, some things are heard, some are felt, some things are blue, others are red, and we can, it's becoming really clear. Oh, rice tastes like this, very specific, brown rice, long rice, short rice, white rice, sticky rice, coconut rice. So, oh, it tastes like, a rice now tastes like this. Rice with uh, seasoned with uh, mindfulness, Tastes like this, yeah? And so we, we start to be clear about this. And then there's another movement that happens in retreat or over, over time in practice that is very uh, kind of powerful. You cannot make it happen, maybe a little bit, but it's just, um, it's not just. What happened in this last movement there is that now it's not the unique characteristics of phenomena that are revealed, you know, that this is pleasant and this is unpleasant. It's unique to every, what's unique to every phenomena. What starts to come out as our attention is more and more stable, steadied, our mind is pacified, is not scattered and caught in all kinds of stories as it stays, as it walks, as it sits, as it does the movements uh, in the Qigong what starts to be noticed and be highlighted and reveal itself is the three universal characteristics. This gets really interesting. So all the phenomena have different things about them. Again, some are heard, some are tasted, some are thought, productions of the mind. But all of them, and check this out for yourself, all of them have three characteristics in common. Are you interested in, <laughs> in this? These characteristics, when we notice them with high quality, high quality attention, the kind of attention we're developing here by uh, not abandoning and not forcing, but showing up 
again, again, starting humbly every time we get lost, you know. We're developing a refined kind of attention. When we pay attention to phenomena, experience, whatever it is, at some point what will be revealed will be the impermanent, changing, fluctuating nature of this particular thing. Bird singing, appearing, disappearing. Bout of impatience, appearing, living is wave-like nature, disappearing. Paralyzing fear, appearing, disappearing. Thoughts, appearing, disappearing. Opinions, appearing, disappearing. Present moment, appearing, disappearing. Uh, perceptions, me, the best, so-and-so, appearing, disappearing. Uh, any, anything, the future, appearing in a certain way, disappearing in this way. All the time, appearing, disappearing. And so this is a high-quality encounter with this, and we're talking meditatively, with not reflecting on, which has its value, not knowing this as an, something we know we read about or heard about, but having an, an intimate connection with this. So he, understanding in Buddhism, there's three levels. One is information, it has its value. A second level is reflection, thinking about stuff, contemplating stuff. That's a second level. A third level is direct experience. A thought crosses your mind, a really important thought about something to do, and a minute after it's gone, you can't remember it. You've seen it come and go. And you've seen the never-ending sit end. At some point, the, ra the bell rang or the never-ending retreat coming to an end. And the step disappearing, the moment where you touch the ground, disappearing. I was doing walking just before this uh, talk here. I was walking behind there, trying to be attentive to my stepping, stepping. And at some point there was the stepping, and uh, then there was a... A little bird was kind of uh, playing, not playing, but looking for stuff in the dead leaves, you know, and there was a crash, crash, crash. And so I looked at the bird and I was hearing the sound and uh, seeing the bird. And then I came back to my feet. My feet had disappeared. For a moment, I recognized, wow, there was no feet. In experience, I don't know, in the nature of reality, I'm not so interested in that. I'm interested from the point of view of human being because that's where I'm kind of stuck, you know? And so from the point of view of a human being, for a few seconds I didn't have any legs. There was just bird chirping and scratching. And then suddenly, whoops, my feet reappeared. Like maybe now your hands, because I name it, they appear in your field of awareness. And so attention can get refined like this and we see things appear and disappear like this, how this life is flickering, actually. We have the assumption that I've had this body, in my case, for like, what, 28 years? <laughs> it's been the same body, you know? But as we pay attention, don't we discover many bodies, in a way? Is the body that is achy, the body that is uh, relaxed and uh, rejuvenated, the body that is standing, the body that is sitting, there's all these different bodies that we experience, all these different minds that we experience, all these different points of view that we experience, all these different identities that we experience. You know? You're walking kind of alone and you're really uh, stepping, stepping, and suddenly somebody comes out here of the hall and suddenly you become self-conscious. Have you had this experience? So it's like, what do I look like? Do I walk well? Do you know? <laughs> And suddenly you're, and you're reborn. Before you were a free spirit walking freely. Maybe you didn't know that. But you were, and suddenly you're a self. Me. How am I perceived? You know? And then and that's exactly the moment where you lose balance. I don't know. Yeah? So then we get to see this, how all these things appear and disappear. And maybe we get a little relaxed about it a bit, you know, we become a little bit uh, 
less uh, involved. Like, oh yeah, of course, that appears, disappears. The other thing that, uh, the other characteristic that becomes highlighted, and that will seem maybe like a bad news, but strangely, these characteristics, when we become intimate with them, when they reveal themselves uh, clearly to us, they, they are liberating. They bring peace to the mind. So this one is going to be a tricky one, maybe. So things being impermanent, passing only there for a moment, you know, being impermanent, they also reveal their un... They reveal their incapacity to satisfy sustainably. Because we see how the mind is very dynamic, changes and all the time. We, we notice how the mind and everything else changes all the time. That we cannot count in a way on anything to satisfy us deep, deeply. Because it's not, it's impermanence, it's a little shaky, unreliable. Does that sound like a bad news? Things being unshaky. The Buddha was seemed to be saying this, like when you see how shaky things are, you notice that you can't absolutely rely on them. You have to rely on something else. Or you have to make peace with the shaky world. I remember when I was um, 25, actually, that's many years ago, really. Uh, one day I went to the doctor for kind of a regular checkup that I thought was. And the doctor told me, oh, you're actually, from what we see on the paper, you're actually about to die. You don't have an immune system anymore. It's gone. Like it's, it's like totally gone. There's no immune system. You have to start a bunch of medication right now. And by the way, the problem you have, we have no solution for it. It's usually people... Uh, get sick and die, you know, within a few years. And I remember being in the doctor's office and it was kind of revealed to me that I had thought that youth and uh, health were kind of... Uh, my hidden belief was that they were uh, permanent, there forever. I, it was hidden, I didn't know that it was kind of unconscious. But when they told me, like, oh, your youth is actually finished and your health is finished and death is coming soon, suddenly I was like, wow, that was amazing how shaky things I thought were mine and forever, kind of, were actually not at all. I had the misperception, I, I had the wrong, I had the mirage, you know, I was living in a mirage. It's like, it's not given, that it's shaky, it looks solid. But it might not be. Life is not, it can stop at any moment. And everything in it. And this was very, it, of course, it shook me deeply. And, then, and I think the whole spiritual path for me started at that moment. I was like, oh, I want to come to terms with that. I want to know this deeply, that things have an ephemeral, dreamlike nature that they can be there, so really there, and suddenly so really gone. I actually want to live my life aware of this, having that wisdom, so that I can actually appreciate what is there deeply, and not stress, not be too like, oh, I hope, I hope. No, I know it can go. Or do I? Do I know this can go? And can I relax in the fact that it might go? what is uh, deeply precious to me, is shaky. And so here, when we tune in, we might discover this, that things pass. Ideas pass, emotion pass, perceptions pass, sensations pass. Everything is transient, passing. Therefore, Third characteristic. Are you ready or is, is that enough? The other one, which is amazing to me, I'm still coming to terms with that, 
And again, don't believe me, but because of the two first, maybe, because things being impermanent and being shaky, conditional, eh? when the conditions are right, they arise, and when the, if the conditions are not right, they don't arise. And many of the conditions we don't have control over in our lives, you know. Wow, amazing. Would you sign up for that? If somebody said to you, okay, here's the deal. We're going to give you a human life. It's pretty much uncontrollable. <laughs> like outside, you want to have, you, you'll be able to collaborate, participate, you know, but you won't have control. This is, this is not possible. We can't give you this, you know. Neither outside, nor inside, by the way. <laughs> By the way, also, you'll be able to contribute, participate, but you won't get to decide, n neither physically, nor mentally, nor emotionally. <laughs> so you, you won't have control. Nothing will be completely satisfying. You will think that. You'll put a lot of energy into this, and then when you get it, you'll find out that, oh my God, you know, it's a little shaky. You know, I wanted that person. Now I get them, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose them. You know, like it's, there's still this knowledge I have that it's, it might not work. You know, they and I, oh, they perceive me like this now at work, or they really perceive me as a good, uh, this or that, very talented, but will they tomorrow? Or will everybody? Will this one too? You know, it's like, it's shaky. You know, what, how people perceive me is constantly a little shaky. I cannot control. Please, everybody, love me. See how unique, amazing human being I am. You seem to almost agree, but there's two or three that I'm not too sure. I can't control that, you know? So imagine you came to, you were about to come to life. So, so that's the deal. You won't have complete control. Uh, things will not be that satisfying. Like you'll want, for example, a kid. You say, well, once I have a kid, my life will have sense, will make sense. Then you get the kid and you're afraid for the kid because what's going to happen to the kid, you know? And it's beautiful. It's an amazing thing, but still it's shaky, you know? Wow, amazing. Nothing will completely satisfy you. It's not in the nature of this reality to offer that from things, from phenomena. I think I want to know this early in the deal, you know. At least check it out, you know. So, not absolutely controllable, not uh, satisfying, passing, ephemeral, everything in that deal that you'll, even things you really love, they'll pass. For sure, we can, that's the only thing we can guarantee you, is that it'll pass. And then the last thing, the third characteristic, is that because of all this, you won't be able to own anything. Relatively, conventionally, you will. You know, you, you, know, you can go buy an object and, you know, it's yours, you know. <laughs> conventionally, it's yours, you know. But maybe somebody will take it. Maybe they won't respect the conventional reality. Maybe they'll say, uh, yeah, I know you paid for it and it's written in the contract, it's yours, but I decided it's mine and I go away with it, you know? And nothing will ever be absolutely yours. Okay, interested? You want to sign up for this deal? <laughs> well, you didn't get to choose, apparently. Here you are, here we are in the middle of it. And what we're trying to do is do the best with it. You would think that knowing about this would make somebody cynical and depressed and stuff. And when this information and these insights, that's where they're powerful, is when we see this for ourselves in experience. When we have insight into this, it's actually liberating. It opens the heart. It's like, oh my God, this is the deal that we're in together. You know the first night I was telling you, what you're going to experience is going to be universal. It will seem like it's personal to you, but it will be universal. So this is where it, what it, we're into. This is the universal human predicament. We don't get to control stuff. For sure we have a say, there's certain things we can do, but we'll never be sure that it's going to work out exactly as we want. Actually, it pretty much never does. It does once in a while just to keep us hooked. You know? And can you be okay with this? And apparently, it's possible to totally be okay with this absolutely weird deal. It's possible to say, wow, oh my God, this is how it is. Okay. Let me, let me be there 
with these conditions because I don't get to negotiate anyway. This is how it is. Okay, I'll, I'm willing to go into this. And when we know this deeply, the way we go into this is with heart, with care, with kindness, with compassion, and with joy. Because when it works out, when it's beautiful, when it's pleasant, when uh, there's success, when there is generosity, we can rejoice. When there is harmony, we can rejoice. We can really appreciate it because it could so easily not happen, not have happened. And so we can really uh, rejoice and take care of what's happening and be awake to see what's happening, clarify for ourselves. Okay, so it seems like these guys are telling me that if I get this car, I'm going to be happy forever. Okay, let me check this out. Is that true? I get the darn car, and now I'm afraid somebody's going to scratch it. It's uncontrollable. You know, will my car still be parked there when I come back? (laughs) You know? And so we get messages from the society, and we're invited to become really aware. And to me, that's the practice of the Buddha, independence. It seems to me that he's saying, I'll show you a technique so you can see for yourself. You don't have to believe anybody about anything. You can see for yourself what is what, and then value stuff that you value. Decide, make your decisions, you know. Not go from assumptions, from wish. I wish it was like this, so it should be like this. It will be like this because I wish that, you know. Here as we sit and walk and pay attention in all the different uh, situations we find ourselves, I think there's some of this that becomes, uh, starts to become, reveal itself. Like for example, you're sitting here and suddenly you feel the tingling in your hands and it appears like a river of tingling. And you're like, ah, this is passing through. The hand that I thought was a solid thing is actually a dynamic field, alive, of tingling. Of course that can be owned, totally. The little moment of tingling is gone. It's replaced by similar tingling, but it's more of a river of experience that is flowing. And an emotion lands there. I'm like, wow, in the same way that sounds pass by, now there's an impression a little mood that passes by. Oh no, it's not exactly me, but it's clearly there. But it's not me, fully me. It's there though. Do you see what I'm talking about? There's a moment of hearing, and in the quietness, one can say, oh, hearing happens by itself. There's no need for owner in there. There is, uh, you know, consciousness, aliveness, sound, healthy ear, and hearing happens. And sometimes there's no I there. It appears suddenly when I want something, or I, you know, expected that. Just before it, there was no I. There was just sitting on the bench outside, feeling uh, the breeze, you know. Suddenly there's like, what I, am I going to say to people about my retreat? And that's the beginning of trouble. Because it's myeing and eyeing, yeah? When there's just sitting here quietly. And in practice, suddenly every little aspect of reality becomes like, wow, this is happening. There are, like thoughts, for example. I'm sure many of us would agree that some thoughts lend there. Like, I'm not saying this. This, this lens there, like a sound lens in the field. Do you have this experience? You're sitting there, it's like, wow, it's thinking a lot. It has a lot to say. It's not exactly me. I personally would like it to stop. But it keeps having, coaching me, you know, commenting on what's happening. It's, oh, it's an acquired thing. It's a conditioned thing. That's what it does. It's not exactly me. Oh, we clarified this. 
Imagine a cruel nut for you that doesn't happen for you. Only for me sometimes a cruel thought crosses my mind. You know, I hope you pay for that. You, know? <laughs> you put your sandal where I put my sandals. You put your sandal <laughs> in my space. I hope you pay for that. You know? If I'm identified with that, if I take it personally, personal, if I make it me, I'm a cr it makes me a cruel person. That is a problematic situation. If, and this is the, is here we're removing the me-I lens, we could say, and we're putting on the Dharma lens, where we recognize what is happening specifically, it's like, oh, this is a thought. This is a cruel thought. This is not helpful for me. I'm not going to entertain that thought. I'm going to let it go, you know, letting it go. It's not, it doesn't describe me in any way. It's just something that is happening, and there's a taking care of mindfulness, metta, taking care of what arises. There's no need to own or identify or be fused with in the same way that if there is an emotion, it's like, oh, there is a, I don't know, there's a strong desire here, or there's a, there's a, there's confusion here. It doesn't, I don't have to be, oh, I'm confused, I'm confused. Okay. There's a lot of confusion here. There's a need to take care of confusion, you know. <gasps> there's a lot of anger here. Oh, there's a need to take care of this anger. It doesn't have to be owned, like, define me, you know. That is uh, one of the ways the Buddha talks about freedom, actually says that's pretty much the core of it. If you're fused, if you're identified with events, it's going to hurt with, your, with anything, actually. Because that thing is going to change and it's going to reveal itself that it was not you or yours. That it was there and it needed to be taken care of, but it was not you exactly. So that's very interesting in a society where we tend to own, define ourselves, my intelligence, my, my this, my that. You know? And in this practice, there's a renouncing of that. It's not, there's generosity. Wow, it's beautiful. Generous heart is there. Sometimes there, sometimes here. I don't have, I'm so generous. Did you, did you all notice that I am generous? I, th I, I should tell you how generous I am, just so you know. Then that's the stress, because now I want the, you to know that I'm generous, and I'm attached to uh, my identity as a generous person, and it's shaky, you might not all agree. And, you know, so it's like, suddenly I'm all stressed out, you know, because it's my... Did, did you see there was a movement of generosity in my heart? I don't think you guys <laughs> noticed. But since I have the microphone, I may as well tell you that generosity uh, came, and it happened a lot to me. That's... Uh, <laughs> Regular occurrence in moi. <laughs> so owning something that is beautiful, suddenly it's being uh, kind of like, uh, you know, some, something, there's a twist that happens to it that is sorry, a sorry little twist, you know. When in this practice we're like, oh, can you recognize specifically how kindness, generosity feels, uh, compassion feels, this is good, good, uh, good stuff, good mental factors, they don't belong to anybody. But when it's there, it's usually helpful, you know. And when there is hatred, notice, it does, doesn't define you, but when it's in there, it's actually good to take care of it and maybe not entertain it and do our planification of the next week based on that emotion, you know, or what we'll say or do. And so that's kind of the arc of the practice, is we go from all our ideas about the world and, and we pay attention, we tune in, in the senses, in all the senses and what's happening in the heart and mind. And we start to notice what is what and what is deserving of uh, being cultivated and what can be abandoned and like this. And then we start to notice, oh my God, everything passes, thing passes. And they come when the conditions are right. I don't get to decide completely and they leave. And this experience is an experience of appearances and disappearances. 
And it's important to take really good care of it, not be cynical or hateful or dismissive or indifferent to it. This life is really happening. It deserves a lot of attention. And it's not mine in this way that I thought it would be. So these are just little suggestions for reflections, maybe, or for attention, to see if it's true for you. In the next uh, couple of days of practice, you might discover this here and there. Oh, I did see this pass. This is gone now. Actually, there's always a little hint here. There's always something passing in your experience. Always you can find something passing, like the syllables I'm saying now, they pass one after another. The rising of the belly is finished. The beginning of the falling of the belly is finished. This present moment is finished. The moment when you came in and uh, walked over uh, a cushion, many of us did, as we come in, we have to like walk over a cushion. That experience, gone, with the Big Bang, inexistent, you know? And that's, suddenly it's not like the old uh, habitual, like, oh yeah, da, 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 like habitual superficial attention. When we tune in, it was like, wow, this meeting here could easily not have happened in this way. It's quite amazing that all the conditions came together for this to happen. And in a few seconds, that moment here now, gone. Non-existent, completely gone. <gasps> wow. So for me, the practice of stepping, for example, is this. I feel the stepping, and then I lift the foot, and that experience there is gone. I think I let it go this week, but uh, for a few years, you know how at the end of the retreat, at the, the end of the sitting, we lift our hands like this? So for my practice, I don't know why this week, I haven't done it so much, but for a couple of years, it was kind of a, when the bell would ring, I would really tune in, you know, and be really there for this here. Like I would feel my hands. Wow, this is very specific, this touch here that I'm feeling. Fortunately, you don't have access to this. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> and then I would just be really attentive and then just notice that this experience, so existent right now, this touch, this heat, suddenly, ah, gone. It was so really there and now inaccessible. And now this, ah, and when it touches here, Wow, amazing, and it seems so real, but then I'm afraid to do it. Gone, and watch out. Wow, touch feels like this, amazing. No boredom in my world. <laughs> So just seeing this, and it's constant, you know, you, you suddenly your hand touches the door and there's resistance. Wow, that's an amazing thing. You push the door, you know, and suddenly you lift the door, it's gone. This, all this resistance against the door, you know, the heavy door is gone. And then, oops, the miserable self reappears. Oh, poor me. Wow, it was gone for a second. I remember one time I was, I'll finish with this. I was very miserable. It's like grief and it was really intense. And I was sitting outside and suddenly the bell rang for the meal. And I knew from earlier, having seen what they were doing in the kitchen, that uh, it was pizza they were preparing. And I remember the, I was like, miserable me. And then the bell rang and I was like, pizza! <laughs> And my whole body like went like this, you know, and I stood up and suddenly miserably me came back. But for like two seconds, maybe a second and a half, there was no miserable me. There was just pizza. And I was like, wow, the world is so shaky and impermanent, ephemeral. 
And right then, to me, what appeared to me, which was liberating, was like, oh, miserable me is extremely ephemeral. Give it pizza. And it disappears, you know? <laughs> Suddenly it's greedy, moi. You know? There's, I'm reborn in the hungry ghost. Give me the pizza. Let me get there first, you know? But I remember I was shaken. I was like, oh my God, I'm so invested in miserable me. And actually it was so light. It actually completely vanished. And now it looks so heavy. It feels so real and three-dimensional. Wow, let me know that. Let me be aware of this. Because this actually appears heavy, appears serious. And maybe it's not, it's just mirage-like. just saying. <laughs> so let's uh, sit in an ephemeral moment here. And notice how the body appears. Maybe it was gone for a few, several minutes there. And suddenly that experience appears again. It's a very specific experience, this body now, or this mind state you're in. Life is manifesting in this way right now, in this very particular way for you. Can this be known with a calm, balanced mind? Can this be allowed just as it is? be it pleasant or unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Can life be allowed to manifest like this right now, just for this moment? May we find great freedom in this life, just as it is. And maybe, may we be able to offer protection and care and freedom to others, no one excluded. Thank you very much for your considerate attention.